Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much. I'm just I'm just kind of starting to look forward to, uh, we're within 60, 70 days of seeing our first flakes of snow. Winter's coming. I'm within 10 years of retiring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking forward to snow yet. No, it just got me There's thinking. Still paddling I, to do. I saw somebody post something today and and uh, about winter, and then I saw that uh, the Arctic Cowboys are had their first set of flurries for this. So looks like they you know, might have yeah, an early winter this year. A little bit farther north than we are. Well, yeah, a little bit. Just, just a tip, just a couple, couple miles. Or yeah, so. just a little bit. Yeah, but uh, so they're and so they're running. They're being chased by winter right now. So. Mm-hmm. They're trying to finish. So they should. I by the looks of it, they'd be done. They'd be into Tuktiuktuk uh, before the end of September if uh, things go right. If and, things go and, right, which will be important for them because right now they're racing against the onset of winter, right? Yeah, and there's another guy. We'll get into that a little yeah, later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm still. I still got paddling to do. I still got a oh, nine day nine day too. trip coming up. Mm-hmm. You're waiting you away. No, we're just gonna we're gonna go camping, take the canoe with us, and we're just front country camping. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, I see. Yep. Yeah. No, and I've got uh, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, nine days. Mm-hmm. Nine days coming up. I'm hoping we should try and set up a. Remember, we did uh, our 300th recording up in on the water. Yeah. Yeah. We should try and set something like that up this fall. Get a group out, not record, but you know, just get people out in the fall when the crisp mornings and the the, the late night uh, sub zero temperatures. I think I say fun. we just all bring our canoes up in January <laughs> and we do a circle on a lake and we just sit in our canoes yeah. in a circle on the ice <laughs> and dream of warmer days. Sounds like a bad idea. No, it, it, <laughs> I do not have bad ideas. If there was hill involved, I would be interested. There is probably a beer involved. Canoe sledding. Ooh, well, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You get a little bit of alcohol involved, and world's your oyster, my yeah, friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? But have nine one one on speed dial. Yes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you need it on speed dial because you know the three numbers is just too many numbers to organize. Well, it happens. <laughs> what if you break your fingers? <laughs> So you're can't you're using dial. your nose to hit speed dial. <laughs> hey Google, call nine one one. Right? <laughs> what is the number? <laughs> Google, what is the number for nine one one? Quick, what's the number for nine one one? Speaking of trying to kill us. Oh yes, 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 yes. Well, everything's trying to kill us these days, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, Pennsylvania. Apparently, people are seeing alligators in the water in a couple of Pennsylvania rivers. No. Alligators are not native to Pennsylvania. Nope. Nope. So, I'm thinking I give it a decade and we're getting they, alligators up here. They weren't alligators. They started with a C. It crocodiles. Was, no, no, not crocodiles. Caimans. Caimans. So, there was, we had caimans here in Toronto there. Four or five years ago. Yeah, but they were released. Yeah, they were, somebody they released real. their pets into a park in yeah. Toronto. Well, that's like Grenadier Pond downtown Toronto. There's like massive goldfish. Oh, yeah? Yeah, people <laughs> release them. Turtles, you name it. Yeah. Apparently, High Park is the place hmm. to uh, release your there you go. reptiles, amphibians, yeah, fish. Tigers, lions. Horses, hoops, balls, bears, <laughs> elephants, and tigers or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so this is just down the street from us. This is like, you actually had to pass through this town to come here to record every week. So Catherine uh, McKissick, six-year-old son Cameron apparently didn't feel like playing outside in uh, his Oshawa backyard this summer. And she figured he's tired, but spiked a fever and she thought there was something wrong. He ended up being diagnosed with both meningitis and encephalitis, two dangerous forms of brain inflammation. Spent a month uh, a month at Toronto Hospital. I presume sick kids. Yeah. Uh, medical teams didn't know why her son got sick until lab reports later revealed the culprit, uh, which McKissick had never heard of before: Jamestown Canyon, a viral infection carried by mosquitoes. 
kind of name is that for one? Uh, a lot of these things, like we see with like Lyme disease, is is named after the town they first identified it in. Powassan so, virus. Powassan virus. Right. There's there's a the couple. Jamestown Canyon. I know. It's like why make it so complicated? Right. Why not just call it the Jamestown virus or? Well, Jamestown I guess James, Canyon virus. Yeah, yeah, Jamestown has a different connotation because of the Kool Aid drinkers, mm-hmm. I guess. But that's Jonestown. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's close. That's yeah, something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says they asked us if we had traveled, if we'd gone anywhere or did anything, and we said the only place we've been in is our backyard. There you go. This type of disease doesn't occur often in Canada, federal data suggests, but scientists warn a slew of insect-transmitted infections are on the rise across North America, fueled in part by higher temperatures that are helping mosquitoes and ticks survive further north and for longer periods of time. Which, I mean, the ticks has been the thing for, I mean, mosquitoes have been here forever, but Mm -hmm. ticks are, are more and more becoming a... A, an issue. A growing issue. And and what it is, is they say that you need to have, like, uh, you need to have minus 30 degrees for multiple weeks over winter, and which will kill off, what, 80% of the ticks? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, because we're not getting cold temperatures anymore, we're just, like, the, the, the tick populations are exploding. I've seen so many videos this year of, of people standing in grass with uh, rubber boots on, and their feet are just teeming with ticks. See, and I've been everywhere, and I've yet to see one this year. No, I haven't seen Same any. Same last year. Like, I haven't, it's yeah. been years since I've seen one. I've seen a few bugs, and, and Siobhan and the kids come running out. Hey, is this a tick? It's like... I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ask them. <laughs> I do not know. It's yeah, a bug. So uh, <laughs> we're seeing shorter winters. Winters aren't as cold. And basically expansion of insects that can transmit these infections, says Dr. Isaac Bogosh, uh, an infectious diseases specialist at the University Health Network in Toronto. says some are increasingly familiar to Canadians, such as Lyme disease and West Nile virus. But even lesser-known conditions spread by mosquitoes and ticks may be popping up more often, while limited awareness and surveillance means official tallies could be the tip of the iceberg. If we start looking for it, he says, we're going to start finding a lot more of it. But, I mean, that's what we've said yeah. before, is, like, no one knew what Lyme disease was, and then all of a sudden, we know what it is, so... Because it's becoming more prevalent. Now everybody knows. It's becoming more prevalent. Yeah. So I wonder if... so. How far south do ticks roam and wander? Everywhere. So, do people become more naturally immune to it the more you're exposed? Like, it's such a big thing along the, the 49th parallel here. And, and uh, so, is it something that because of uh, climate change and so on, we're seeing more, so it's more in our minds? But That's they've been exactly dealing what with I'm it, thinking it is. They've been dealing with it down south for so long that yeah. it's like, yeah, whatever. I, I saw. I'm, yeah. I mean... When I lived out in Saskatchewan, I ended up with one on the back of my leg. And yeah. like I say, it's, well, whatever, just get it out. Because, yeah. you know, like it's alien. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's burrowing into me. Like, huh. yeah, no thanks. And so it's not it's not the ticks that bother me so much. Bugs don't really bother me that much. It's the consequences. Like, I don't want to get Lyme disease. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. So... West Nile disease, a mosquito-borne viral infection which can occasionally cause life-threatening illness, was first identified in Canada two decades ago already. Hmm. Since then, the number of cases has ebbed and flowed, ranging from a handful in a year to more than 2,400 during a particularly nasty season in 2007. Range of ticks capable of spreading Lyme disease is also growing, alongside more awareness of the time uh, treatable but sometimes debilitating bacterial infection. Mm-hmm. And that's pu- pushing reported cases to new heights, uh, the federal figures show, with more than 3,000 known infections across Canada in 2021. Realistically, with the, with the amount of people that go out yeah, yeah, yeah. since COVID... Yeah. You'd think there'd be more cases. You'd think there'd be a hell of a... But, but from what they started saying at the first of the article, it's it goes unreported. Mm-hmm. So, oh, my kid's sick. And yeah, so, I think Lyme disease, though, would be more. Correct. So right? I think they're going to recognize that more. So this Jamestown Canyon one, so 
she, he, he was in the hospital for a month and he was diagnosed with meningitis encephalitis. So they say, okay, well, he has these things. We don't know how he got them, whatever. And so we'll treat him for it. But it wasn't until they dug deeper that they actually identified that it's specifically the Jamestown mm-hmm. Canyon viral infection. And you can't get away from mosquitoes. No, you can't. Right? There's nothing you can do. So, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, once they start, people start realizing what it is. Uh, it says these tallies could be undercounts, though more scientists and public health teams are increasingly conducting patient screenings and insect population surveys to close the data gap. Scientists are also bracing for more transmissions of other emerging, emerging tick-borne threats such as anaplasmosis, a Lyme-like bacterial infection, and the Powassan virus. Ontario just launched public reporting of several additional tick-borne diseases this July. Uh, anaplasmosis, powassan, plus a parasite called babesiosis, which we've talked about that one before we have, as well. Yeah. yeah. So we really don't know what the burden of these infections are in the Canadian population, and that's because people don't know these infections are here. Physicians and frontline healthcare providers aren't aware of these infections, and they might not be aware of which screening test to use. Again, that's Lyme disease all over mm-hmm. again, right? So they're going to be treating symptoms, but they're not knowing what causing the symptoms. They right. just know the individual has something, and so they're going to treat those symptoms. Uh, Dr. Dick Zoutman, a infectious diseases control uh, specialist with Queen's University in Kingston, cautioned against complacency even though the official counts remain small. He says, of course, it starts out that way, and then what it'll look like in five years from now, we can only imagine, but we've seen how Lyme disease just exploded across Canada. There's also a chance rare conditions are already less than rare, less rare than previously thought since milder cases may be flying under the radar. So, yeah, you're, you're not feeling the greatest, but you just, whatever. Yeah, and just yeah this summer I haven't felt bad great, sushi. no energy, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just, and you find out, well, no, yeah. it wasn't bad sushi. It, it was <laughs> it was some mosquito yeah. thing. Or people just thinking, oh, I'm run down by work. Yeah. No, it's not work. You you got bit by a tick or you get No, no, it was work. And- it was work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, infections linked to California zero group viruses, which include Jamestown Canyon, were only reported 72 times across Canada in 2018. Also an average of 17 serious Jamestown Canyon infections reported in the U.S. on an annual basis, but health officials there stress this, there is significant underdiagnosis and underreporting of less severe cases. I can see that south of the border because you're not going to get treated. Most people are mm. just, well, you know, I've got something. I'm just going to deal you, with it. You're, you're still thinking. Like, if you look at the population of the United States, not to downplay this by yeah, any yeah, yeah, stretch yeah. of the means, yeah. but, you know, you're saying there's 17 serious ones in all of the U.S. that are reported. Even if another thousand go unreported. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm thinking That's, it's going to be a huge number that goes unreported because of healthcare in the mm-hmm. states. People are not going to go see a doctor for the, these things, so there's not going to be identified, not going to be there, there's there's no statistics or data involved because people don't go don't to doctors. Go. Yeah, there's a Nova Scotia study that pa- uh, paints a striking picture of a potential burden. While there's no official surveillance program to check, track Jamestown Canyon in that province. Researchers who analyzed blood samples of both deer and humans found roughly 88% of the tested deer population had been infected with the virus, alongside more than 20% of human population. The research concluded it may be an under-recognized cause of disease. Hmm. That's a lot of people. Yeah, 20%. 20%? Uh, so my thing is, are the outdoors oriented populations, the one that are going to have to be the best to keep an eye on this as identifiers of these diseases, since we're the ones out the most, Mm -hmm. most likely to, to bring it home sort of thing, sort of thing, you know, uh, are we maybe 
start making note of how you're feeling after paddling trips and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, you know, I, I usually don't feel this bad after a paddling trip. I know it's been, you know, a month since I was on my last paddle trip. And I <laughs> shouldn't be this. Why am I still tired? Tired or, or yeah, whatever, yeah. right? So, yeah, if you're, if you're feeling something. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the whole thing we say. Listen to your body, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I, I don't take all these pills that people are, oh, you should take this, you should take this. No, yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. When my body says I'm not feeling well, then I deal with it. Mm-hmm. If my body's chugging along as it has been for over 50 years and everything seems to be going swimmingly, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But <laughs> at some point, if you're listening to your body, you're going to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm just not. Yeah. You know, I just come from a, a trip and I've done this trip a hundred times. I'm just not feeling right. Yeah. That's when you got to start thinking, ooh. Maybe I've been hanging around the mosquitoes and the ticks too much. <laughs> it does bring up another like I'm we're not I'm not going to discuss it at length here, but it does bring up a thing where I, I'm it's sort of a curiosity that always sits in the back of my mind, and it just kind of makes you think. So with the way we have healthcare, we treat everything, we make everything go away, yada yada yada. So the natural evolutionary way is, uh, you know, people who are people who are susceptible to say Lyme disease normally you would get so sick that you wouldn't carry on your genes and so anybody who is susceptible to Lyme disease their that gene pool would die off and the whole population would grow and become stronger because the weaker ones go away or susceptible to Lyme disease it's just one of those things it's like we we protect everybody nowadays so that everybody Everybody's genes live on. It's like it's it's something outside of well, this you know, conversation. We, but we, you know what I mean. We joke about it when we're on our paddling trips. Uh, Tracy and her hand sanitizer. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a nurse, right? So I mean, yeah. it's just sort of second nature. But we've got every, every some days everywhere I'm looking. There's a another small like we need a second pack. Just for hand sanitizer. It's like, you know what? Eat some dirt. Like, <laughs> it's not, well, it might kill yeah. you now because you, you've been hand sanitizing yeah. all these years, but. I've heard, I've heard it's good for starting, for starting campfires. It is. So I've never tried oh. it. And I would like to thank, uh, Kyle for this one. If you, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before. You have. If the dog gets sap. In his yes, yes. fur. You missed that three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. You, you put uh, hand sanitizer and yeah. rub it and it... it That's a great idea. Get, like, yeah, it, I, it I never would have known to do that. Yeah. So the next time I get sap in my hair or whatever, then... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, at least you got hair to get sap in. <laughs> or the kids get gum in their hair from school or... I don't know about gum. This is strictly a sap thing. <laughs> so just, in case you didn't still use this. There's a big bald spot. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your hands... Like I say, with... with I think... We are in a bit of a society where everything's almost too clean now. Yes. Too sanitized. Yeah. And you're not getting those germs yeah. to build up your immunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm no doctor. I, that's just my take on it. Yeah. You know, but um, go eat some dirt once in a while. Yes. You and gotta. Not, and not, gotta. not the lumpy dirt yeah. from, the, from the sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, you know what's coming up? I do. And know we are up. actually ahead of it this year. We we normally react to it, and this year we're we're ahead of the game. We're waiting for it to happen yes. now. Fat Bear Week <laughs> we, is on the horizon. <laughs> We've had it on our agenda for like three or four weeks now. <laughs> uh, I saw something somewhere as an article, and I sent it to you, and it was like, oh, yeah, we're ahead of the game this year. So <laughs> one of the biggest... Bears, Otis. Yes. Um, he's he's won it, like, I think three times yeah, or something like yeah. that. Then he lost it one year and then won it again. And he's been in the finals, I don't know how many times. But Otis, he's a big boy. Otis has won it and three times. Three times? And oh, four. Four. Sorry. Four they, times, they, yeah. They've, they're years. They're, so since, yeah, one, two, three uh, four. So what, what confused me was that in 2021 and 2022, they started a Fat Bear Junior. So I wasn't looking at those years. Yeah. So he's, like, like I say, he's one of the top competitors he's in Fat tank. Bear. He's yeah. a tank. All right. Well, I guess he came out of his burrow late this year. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people were thought maybe he died. He, yeah. Right. But then, no, all of a sudden he shows up. 
So he Otis, came out late because he was so fat. He, he could was sleep so longer. Fat, he could <laughs> sleep longer. <laughs> Imagine how bad they stink when they roll out of that cave. Oh, Oof. all matted. And, yeah, yeah. I don't know that they actually sleep. All the way through, do they? No, they. Yeah, I've heard that they are. Like they get up and wander around once in a while. They, or yeah, something. They, yeah, they're not pure sleeping, but they're very drowsy. They don't leave the cave much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so Otis is up, and he's yeah. uh, he's bopping around again. He's got some loose skin, I bet. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. So uh, yeah, um, Fat Bear Week is happening i think it's october 4th to 10th yes there are things that happen starting in september uh fat bear weekend an annual single elimination tournament focused on bear education that's exactly i mean it's more than just about seeing which it's which all, is the fattest bear yeah it is about education it's a it's, it's a whole education <clears throat> nature thing uh starting in early october the public votes online for the bear they think exemplifies fatness in Brooks Falls Brown Bears. A uh, bear with the most vote advances, but only one is crowned Fat Bear Week champion. There's no fat shaming in Fat Bear Week. Fat bears exemplify the richness of Katmai National Park and Bristol Bay, Alaska, a wild region that is home to more brown bears than people and the largest, healthiest runs of sockeye salmon left on the planet. So if you go to fatbearweek.org, uh, there's links that you can watch live, streaming footage of the bears at Brooks River, um, every day on explore.org. And uh, yeah, this October, Fat Bear Week, uh, be sure to stick around for Katmai Conservancy's annual online Fat Bear Week celebration fundraiser. Celebrate uh, 11th year of bear cams in 2023 bear cam season. Highlight Fat Bear Week champion. Discuss Katmai Conservancy's important work in support of Katmai National Park and Preserve. Every year as Fat Bear Week draws to a close, they celebrate the season with the Fat Bear Celebration and Fundraiser. Which is important, getting the, yeah, yeah. the money to yeah. keep all this going, right? Online event features the Otis Fund fundraising drive a live review of the bear cam season highlights of fat bear week championship and updates on cat my conservancy's important work in support of the national park and preserve each year during fat bear week uh, the culminating with fat bear celebration cat my conservancy and explorer.org hold a fundraising drive to support the otis fund which you can um donate to at any time and this fund allows Katmai Conservancy to support education and interpretation both within and outside the National Park, provide funding for important research on Katmai's wildlife, as well as the extensive human history of the area. Other initiatives include promoting youth engagement in the local and online communities, working to ensure the environmental sustainability of the fragile ecosystem of Katmai, and the necessary improvement of park infrastructure. Uh, thanks to all who donated to the Otis Fund during the 2022 celebration. Thanks to your efforts, the generous two time and the generous two times match from Explore.org, they were able to raise three hundred seventy-three thousand five hundred and seventy-six dollars. That's amazing. That's a lot of a lot of money to go. Yeah. But, you know, it's all for a good purpose, education and all that sort of stuff, right? So, yeah, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on fat. Um, Otis has got to get it again this year. <laughs> uh, what was the other one? 747? 747. 747. And that's the picture I showed you earlier when we were starting to talk about I, it. That's, I think, uh, if fatbearweek.com, is that the, the website I think it is? That's I'm on NPS. So National Park Service. Well, yes, I just, sorry. I just googled. Yes. I googled Fat Bear Week, and and this is one of the first links yeah. that popped up. National National Park Service is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, their website has this massive bear. It makes these eyeballs look so tiny, tiny. little beady eyes. Right? <laughs> He's just so huge, but huge, huge bear. So yeah, get ready for Fat Bear Week, people. It's our most exciting time of the year. Mm-hmm. Don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's something. Yeah. Uh, while I was doing some research, googling on, while I was googling for weird things, I did. I, I don't think I found anything weird this week. 
kayaking profits. Oh. Increased social media influencer influence. Increased health and fitness awareness. Uh, are going to present vendors in the worldwide kayak market with profitable chances. Global market for kayaks was estimated to have acquired $710.5 million in 2022. It is anticipated to advance to from 2023 to 2031. Uh, by 2031, the market is likely to gain $975.6 million. Almost it's a like billion a, dollars. It's almost a billion so this is, dollars. This is, ju- this is not sales. This is pure profit. Profit. This is profit, it says. Yeah. And global market profit. Mm-hmm. Key findings in this market report. Travelers interested in exploring and kayaking on waterways are drawn to tourist sites, especially those that have lakes, rivers, and coastal regions. Kayak market is expanding due to the tourist industry's rise. People looking to enjoy outdoor activities will find kayaking to be an appealing option. It is the best approach for relaxing and unwinding from tension. Kayaking, yeah, because apparently punching co-workers isn't allowed. So this is the next best. <laughs> exactly. Uh, kayaking is an inexpensive and environmentally beneficial pastime, which increases its appeal and acceptability. Bigger audience and kayak enthusiasts from various demographics are drawn to competitive events and kayaking races by organizers throughout the year, the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be said for other paddle sports as well, but, but yeah, everybody, once you sort of, you get into the kayaking, one thing leads to another. You start with that little $300 Costco jobby. Next thing <laughs> you know, you got $3,000 something or other. Uh, market trends for kayaks in the coastal area where tourism is more prevalent for activities like water sports and exploration. Kayaking boats are in great demand. Rising levels of disposable money. Where? <laughs> <laughs> what's this disposable money uh, What's this disposable money you speak of? <laughs> Rising levels of disposable money, increased outdoor activity awareness, and the effect of social media platforms are driving a strong emphasis on outdoor recreational pursuits, especially kayaking. Mm-hmm. So kayaking is going to be taking a big old spike. Well, it is pretty amazing to be... So when you're when you're out summers doing something, mm-hmm. instead of being on a cruise ship or in an airplane or whatever, you get to be down and intimate. You get to... Just to be down on that level and you're kind of... you're pretty much in the water like yeah. you know what i mean just by your weight and the, the displacement you're in the water well i mean and, and they talk about the different types of yeah. kayak like white water yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. calm water yeah. touring um kayak fishing is the big thing you know mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff there's so many it's, it's just not one type of yeah of of paddling yeah. You know, there's so many different applications it, and yeah. different types of kayaks the to get into that anybody from a little kid to grandma can jump into a kayak yeah. and go to town. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on that over the next 10 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so well, not even. 10 uh, years uh, from now, we'll talk about years? it again. Seven years? On the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ten, in 10 years, we're going to talk about it again. Yeah, it's supposed to be uh, $1.5 billion in day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Northwest Passage, let's talk about that. The Arctic Cowboys, ah. attempting to do the uh, entire 3,000-kilometer Northwest Passage. They took a week off in Cambridge Bay to it, rest and resupply. It was mostly resupply. They had yeah. stuff being shipped in that was delayed. They had yeah, trouble getting they, stuff in. They fixed a hole in one of their kayaks. Yeah. They got new dry suits, yes. which are apparently better than the old ones. Yes. Uh, but you know what? Like, yeah, yeah, you're you're in that. My thing would be, and this is just my personality, is like, no, okay, one or two days maybe, mm-hmm. but not a week. Yeah. Right? Like, let's go. We're in the groove. Yeah, let's exactly. Go. Yeah. We don't have time right? to waste yeah. here. Winter's coming. Yeah. But, 
No, I saw the rest of that TV show. Winter came, winter went. <laughs> <laughs> There's dragons involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that'd be my thing. But yeah, they 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 were they had some um, shipments that were held up and stuff like that. But uh, it gave them it gave them the excuse to take that rest break, right? Mm-hmm. They're currently skirting the south end of Victoria Island. We will make a short hop to the Canadian mainland. And from there, they will follow the coast west to their end point at Tuktoyaktuk, paddling in two tandem kayaks. Uh, they've had some delays, most notably 10 days at the beginning, waiting for the water off uh, Bylet Island um, to open because they kept having those yeah, ice So the Yeah, the ice flows were drifting in with the yep. wind and stuff. So uh, it 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 did complicate cause complications, which also we talked about last week the uh, the trip numbers for the mileage. Oh yeah. So yeah. They, there's some weird. The total miles is longer than the expedition miles. What's going on? But it's yeah. because they get chased back and they had to restart. Uh, they put in consistently big daily distances too when the winds have allowed it. Recently, yeah. they covered 65 kilometers. 67, 38, 57, 48. Like and they keep throwing big, big daily drives exactly. like that. And early on, they also, they had uh, they had 24 hours of daylight. Yeah. But now, as they're coming into shorter days, we've all seen it in the last few weeks as our days are getting shorter and shorter, sunsets are earlier mm-hmm. and earlier. So now they have, uh, so now it's dark at night. And so they did a night paddle the other night because it was it was calm. And so it was an opportunity. It was like they were apprehensive at first, but man, they got to see so much. So if every, you, everybody should go to their uh, to their website, Arctic uh, Cowboy. I almost always say Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> it's Arctic in my Monkeys. <laughs> they go to the Arctic Cowboys website and uh, and they talk about this uh, this night uh, pass where mm-hmm. they did thirty forty kilometers, and it's amazing what they got to saw see. Also, what I found interesting is that the the location they're currently in. They're not seeing any wildlife. So I thought yeah. that was interesting. No whales, no polar bears, no seals, seals nothing. Nothing, right? Yeah, weird. Yeah. But uh, at least the polar bears aren't harassing them. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. The last thing you want is to be eaten by a polar bear. Yeah, like right now even, um, going back to the daylight thing is, you know, you, I, I was like not even a month ago, a few weeks ago, I was get up in the morning, walking the dog and the sun's already yeah. up. Now, the moon's just going down and the sun's just about to come yeah, yeah. up. Same time. Yeah. Just, yeah, now it's uh, still a bit dark when I'm uh, doing that. Uh, although early winter has arrived in the Arctic, earlier this week they uh, reported snow flurries instead mm-hmm. of drizzle. I think I'd rather have the flurries than the drizzle. Uh, yeah, true. Yeah. True. Only have less than a 1,000 kilometers to Tuktaktak, and the fall winds are not too bad. They may be able to finish before the end of the month when winter really begins to set in. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, they can do that because there's been other people go up that way and once the wind and everything starts it's the freezing, wind. It's the wind it is happens the problem. fast, mm-hmm. right? Meanwhile, there is a group who are rowing the same route. Same route. Which I wasn't aware of. Same direction. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to continue a little further on to Alaska. They're now approaching Cambridge Bay, so they're behind uh, the Arctic Cowboys. Although they began their expedition much later, rowing is faster than kayaking, and they may overtake the kayakers just before Tuktaoktuk. However, just before Belot Strait, the rowers used their boat's electric motor to dislodge themselves from a sandbank on which they unexpectedly ran aground. Minor though this engine use was, it does put an asterisk beside their self-propelled transit, just as an 8,000-meter climber who takes a few puffs of oxygen bottle can no longer claim a no-O2 ascent. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a bit of a... It's a little bone a of contention. Well, yeah. we only used it to get off the sandbar. And other people are going to say, why do you have an electric motor in, your, in the first place? Mm-hmm. And how many times have you used it without reporting it out? Yeah. And I think that'll be the yeah the thing, right? So, yeah. If they've just used it to get off of a sandbank. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. 
And there's a third party out there. Yes. Solo rower Maddie Clark. He's continues uh, efficiently in the opposite direction. He's going from Tuck 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 to Pond Inlet. So he's going to be fighting to get that done at the end mm-hmm. before the ice hits. Yep. He is currently east of Cambridge Bay and approaching King William Island. Uh, currently ha- has farther to go than the other two groups, but has been doing well alone since his partner became injured and had to quit. Uh, so, yeah, so... He's going he's solo. Solo. Could you imagine that? No. Yeah. So, th- so uh, I could. I mean, it wouldn't it be that bad. No, no, no. It's not that part of it. It's not that aspect. It's a safety thing. It's a safety thing. It's uh, if you need some, if if you flip in in rough seas, or mm-hmm. or if you you know a polar bear decides to come munch on you or something, it's it's good to have the backup of of other human bodies there to. They'll eat somebody else first. Or right. <laughs> All you got to do is outrun one other person. Exactly. Or have somebody there to take pictures. But it would be just for safety's sake to have somebody yeah. there. So if you were to to break a leg or to injure yourself or something, there's somebody to help you off the water and, and somebody to help call for help or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're solo, it's like the risks are, are the magnified, right? Yeah. Uh, sea ice is the modern... Northwest Passage, um, sorry, in the modern Northwest Passage, can still block ships. 2018, no ship made it through. Other summers, the ice clears out thoroughly, and 2023 has been one of those years. So last year, I know they were having issues. This year, too much ice last year. Not a, yeah, it's not not even an issue this year. Arctic Cowboys or Maddie Clark, if he puts on a spurt and finishes sooner could claim the first self-propelled summer traverse of the passage within a single year. And they say summer traverse because spring of 2011, Eric and Sarah McNair Landry kite skied from Tuktaoktik to Pond Inlet over the sea ice. There you go. How sore would your arms and legs be after doing that? You'd get used to it pretty quick, and with the kite skiing or kite sailing or kite surfing, you're attached at the waist, so your arms aren't doing all that much work. You're but just, they're still. You're still steering. There's And your legs. Yeah. You get used to it Like, you're going to need, like, knee and hip replacements <laughs> by the time you're done. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and they were skis, too. Not like, like the guys I see do it, they're on, like, snowboard-looking things, right? Yes, on water. Yeah. So I, I've got to think these guys are... Um, That'd be interesting, eh? Yeah, if they if they did it kite skied, mm-hmm. that'd be cool to do. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but it'd be a lot faster. And then what oh. do you do on the days where there's no wind? <laughs> like there's no wind. Yeah, there's always going to be wind. I had the what did I say? Oh, Mike McHugh. They they were up at the changing of the season yeah. ceremony up in Tomogamy. And I was asking, how was it getting across to the ceremonial site? So wind wasn't that bad. And he says, but that's because you weren't here. And I said, I know. Headwinds follow me around like a lost puppy. (laughs) 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 Oh, well. So we'll keep an eye on uh, West and the the crew to see how well they're doing. But, uh, yeah, it could be by the end of the month. Yeah. They're out that way. Yeah. I'm rooting for them. Woohoo! Hey, this Matty guy, is he... uh I don't want to throw a wrench in anything or, or just confuse people, but hey, is he uh, Canadian? He's I have no idea. There's got to be a Canadian that does this. Eh. Let's do it next year. All right, we'll do it next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can take four months off work, right? Oh, no, I can't take more than three and a half. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Well, that dashes that plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another... Old canoe has been found. It's funny how they keep just popping up everywhere nowadays. I know, it's strange. Is it just because... So I wonder... So it wasn't really in people's minds until they start... A few pop up here, a few pop up Mm -hmm. there. There's like half a dozen in the last uh, six years or so. And it's like, well, does that mean for the last 50 years when somebody comes across something and they just crunched up with tobacco and like, what? I wonder what that was. Who cares? Right. Right. So you've got to wonder how much, what kind of damage is being done. And before people 
hey, I see that. What's what's this thing I just dug up with a backhoe? And now people are starting to think. So yeah. you just gotta wonder if it's they're being they're being recognized now. Well, when I read this article, and I think about all the other articles we've come across about, um. Like thousand year old, two thousand year old, four thousand year old canoes being found. Why do people just leave their canoes laying everywhere all (laughs) willy nilly? Mine are laying willy nilly in my backyard. (laughs) Like the kayak, you're not finding kayaks everywhere. (laughs) Those are skin off frame. Those are long gone. Wow. You might still get some of the frame. Yeah. Right? But no, you're just finding canoes everywhere. Yeah. I'll just make a new one later. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with you people from way back when? So archaeologists in Switzerland reveal that they have discovered a 2,500-year-old canoe in remarkable conditions. Switzerland. Switzerland, yes. So we've had them in Africa, South uh, South America, Wisconsin. Croatia. Cro- was was Croatia. Uh, well, that was the ship with the with a couple of canoes, right? Yes. Yeah. And now we're heading farther north. Extremely well-preserved find was uncovered at three and a half meters in a lake in western Switzerland and dates back to the early Iron Age. Archaeologists unveiled the canoe, which was originally discovered in 2021 at a press conference. The canoe was salvaged carefully using techniques specialized for water discoveries and initially spotted using an airplane that was doing archaeological survey of the lake. There you go. So, right, pattern recognition... You suddenly are being poor, you you hear about other canoes being found. Mm-hmm. So now this guy's in a plane and goes, "Hey, you see something down the bottom of the, that lake?" It's like, "What is that? That's got that canoe shape." Right? Never would have noticed that ten years ago. Now we see canoes popping up. Think now. somebody's just dropped a canoe off somewhere or something <laughs> or flooded. Uh, this is an archaeological discovery of considerable importance for our understanding of the prehistory of the region. Is radiocarbon. Analysis date to between 750 and 520 BC. Wow. A time when there were no villages on the shores of the lakes. Huh. Again, just leave it willy-nilly. We'll come back for that later. And they never did because they got eaten by a mastodon or something. Yeah, yeah. Saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, or Vikings or something. (laughs) Uh, It's one of the very few boats from this period in Switzerland that has been preserved almost in its entirety. Huh. Boat has now been brought to a lab for special analysis. Now, when we were down at um, uh, Canucopia, the ones from Wisconsin that were found, the ones, the archaeologist that found the two of them, yep. she was there to give a speech. Oh, okay. And she yep. had a slide showing all that, showing all these specialized things oh. that they did and how it's stored in the lab so they can study and that would be the water tubs, special water tubs they have for it. So you got to think of how much of that has been. These guys say, hey, what did you, we've just found this. Yeah, what we did need you some do? techniques. What are we doing here? Yeah. yeah. So how do we preserve this? Uh, so yeah, it's in the lab for special analysis. Archaeologists will look to see what clues it holds to life during this time. Photogrammetry, uh, the laser me- measurements will also be used to create a 3D model of what the canoe would have looked like fully intact. Uh, one archaeologist, Jean Daniel Renault, says she's a very sickly old lady. Part of the sides of the canoe were torn out by storms, and the portion buried in the sediment was very cracked. It's a very fragile object. Well, maybe they should have put it in the garage over winter, huh? (laughs) Uh, It was made at the time from an oak trunk about 13 meters long. 13 meters? About a meter in diameter. This type of canoe, which was particularly large, was mainly used for transporting goods and people or for fishing. The find will be important in providing archaeologists with more clues into the time. It is the largest and most well-preserved canoe from this period to be found in the country. 13 meters. That's a big boat. Yeah, that's... Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a big boat tree. There there was a picture of a boat, like a canoe, and I thought, well, that must be it. No, apparently somebody just grabbed a picture for the article. Yeah. Because the thing looked like it was about five feet long. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right definitely on. wrong picture, people. So. So, that's a big oak tree. Mm-hmm. 
I don't was. Think, I don't think we grow oak trees that big anymore. Not anymore. We we harvest them too soon. But 13 meters. And a meter diameter. Wow. That's crazy. Right? That's a big tree. That's a big boat. That's a big of a boat. Hmm. But, I mean, if they're using it for transporting goods. Exactly, and yeah. Trading. and yep. Yeah. It's not one that you, I, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think you'd be wanting to portage that bad boy. No. Especially at that <laughs> weight. You got to think of how yeah. heavy that would have been. Well, imagine. A, a 13 vo- meter oak. Solid imagine oak. a voyageur with all the boxes of goods and the yeah. fur pelts and whatever goods they're hauling. And I know the birch bark canoes, they use soaked up water. So yeah, they get very heavy. They get very, very heavy yeah. when they're wet. Yeah. But. This is a. You imagine how long, I wonder how long it would take a skilled individual to carve out a 13 meter canoe out of a gigantic Well, I'm sure it would be more than just one guy doing it. I know. There'd be a little team of them. Yeah. I don't think it would take them all that long though. Just a couple hours? Yeah, give or take. Two before (laughs) dinner. But still, that's a good portion of your summer, right? Um, I don't even think, well, because it depends what, I mean, they don't say what the method was that they used, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they're using the chopping and burning- yeah. Right? That doesn't take as long. No, And if you got still, a few guys working on yeah. it, you know, you can be doing a few of these things. But again, where did it come from? Because they said there was no, no villages, villages yeah. or anything yeah. along. So, yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe they were invaders. Maybe. Interesting. That's, uh, it's, it's neat to hear these old stories of, uh, of these old uh, canoes that are being discovered. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, there's more and more and more being discovered. Well, I think, I think we need to find an oak tree because these canoes apparently are lasting a lot longer <laughs> than the ones we have. And I you know. don't, you won't need to worry about banging a, a hole in it if you're going down yeah. rapids <laughs> and all that stuff. Portaging, yes, yeah. will be an issue. Yeah. But, <laughs> considering it's going to fit 20 of your friends. I know, right? Everybody grab a handhold. We're taking this bad boy over. That's that's amazing. Yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes open for that one and uh, see uh, if there's any follow-up information. Uh, here's a neat thing. Currently, a group of ex-kayak guides left jobless by the pandemic in the Philippines, are working daily making bags by hand from used kayaks with the dream of bringing this product to market. Now, I'm thinking, like, plastic. I know. Kayak, I, that was my that first thought. Thing. That's the first thing yeah. I think. But what? no, so I, I went and looked at it, and it's, no, like... Um, inflatables. Inflatables, yeah. right? 80% of the materials used to make the bags are upcycled from used kayaks and inner tube uh, inner tire, uh, tube tires. It took the guides more than six months of learning how to sew, working with the materials, testing various designs, to finally decide on a bag that was very durable, practical, and more importantly, eco-friendly. Because when you look at these things, you can't just if you if you're throwing these into the garbage, the dump, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. going to be there forever. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, very, very uh, good materials. I don't know materials. how their recycling works over there. Yeah. Right? So. Throw it in the river, it goes out to sea, it's gone away. Right? Uh, the bag is made for tough travel, made of uh, nitrylon, an expensive good rubber variant from the kayaks, and these bags are designed for the most extreme adventures. <laughs> Said they use uh, use these kayaks for multi-week expeditions and the material never never fails on us. It is not plastic or PVC. These bags are so practical enough as a go-to day bag with separate compartments for easy storage of tablet, wallet, phone, book, water bottle, etc. Since these bags are made of tough kayak material, you can use them for any activities. Use it in the under the rain to the sea. Take it for marketing. Zero maintenance required, as we want the bag to take care of you, not the other way around. Now we went on the website there, and you were doing more. They were nice. There's some bags. nice looking bags there, right? Like I know people that from the Philippines that go back once in a while. I'm starting yeah. to think 
I think they were like sixty-seven bucks or something like that. So, so yeah, they were ranging. They had a range of prices, but it, but from fifty to ninety bucks or so, yeah. depending on the size of the bag. And I, I checked out shipping. I went partially through the shopping cart, and it was twenty-five bucks UPS shipping from the Philippines. So that's not too bad. If, well, and then the, the my only thing is, do they do the? I know FedEx wants well, to get a letter from FedEx if you order something. Oh. Oh, you gotta pay your duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Import duties. Yeah, import yeah. duties. So, but if I know some of these, some of these that's going over, I might uh, <laughs> throw a couple bucks your way yeah. and say, "Hey, why don't you grab me one of these bad boys?" Uh, acknowledging our work as mangrove kayak guides, which we've talked about as well before, yep, is, we is uh, trying to protect the mangroves and bring it to people's uh, attention. Our first bag designed is named after one of our favorite mangrove species, uh, Bruguiria, in sure. an, an uh, Abitin mangrove river where we used to run our kayaking tours. As our bags are handmade, each bag has a unique color variation. So no two of them are going to be the same. Exactly. Yeah. Right? You're going to have a unique bag. Different color patterns, different kayaks, different stitching. It's, it's They're all handmade from different parts of the kayaks yeah. that they come that come in. Yeah. You may end up with a red and black one. I may end up with a red and black one, but yours may come from the back of the boat. Mine yep. may come from exactly. the bottom or top or something. Uh, Project Nova is what it's called. Uh, so if you go to projectnova.store, S-T-O-R-E, You'll see all the bags and you can do some shopping there. Project Nova was a response to the closure of Kayak Asia Philippines due to COVID-19. As our tourism-dependent business ceased, uh, we immediately had to challenge of keeping our 20 part-time and full-time staff employed and engaged. Project Nova funds new ideas and initiatives by ex-kayak guides, offering them a chance to learn new skills and pursue dreams close to our philosophy. Kayak Upcycling Project is our largest project to date, keeping eight ex-kayak guys employed full-time since April 2020. That's amazing. ProjectNova.store. Go check out those bags. It's Yeah, pretty cool. To, unfortunately, I mean, they had to close the kayak tourism business. It'd be nice if they could get that back going. But now they got a nice side business going. But now they got a little side hustle going here and never know. Maybe they'll bring back the uh, Kayak Asia Philippines uh, tourism and then when it's time to get new boats, they take the old ones and make them anywhere. Instead of selling them off or going to the the landfill, then they're going to make make them into a bag. This one here... So I was on Gear Junkie, and there's this guy, Will uh, Brenza. He does uh, some articles for them. Onus Optics Nose Shielding Sunglasses. So <laughs> he writes, sunglasses are great, but they have a fatal design flaw. They leave your nose exposed to the sun. Onus Optics has designed a solution. Uh, he says the sun was out, sky didn't have a single cloud in it. And he was taking a seven and a half mile hike up to 12,013 feet. And the team at Onus Optics insisted their shades would be all the protection he needed. <laughs> yes, my sunglasses weren't just protecting my eyes from the sun's glare. They were literally sh- shielding my schnoz from sunlight. <laughs> I had a bandana to cover my forehead and ears. And I slathered my neck and nape with sunscreen. Then, like a superhero donning his mask, I put on my Onus Optic sunglasses and hit the trail. Didn't take long to realize I'd be just fine. Characteristics uh, attribute of Onus Optic's unique design, the Nosebrella, <laughs> was... <laughs> this is sounding a lot like the old uh, crotch pot here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> uh, was performing as advertised, protecting my nose, and I probably would have forgotten entirely that I was even there if it hadn't been for the unending stream of comments I got on along the way. Whoa, what are those things? Cool sunglasses, bro. You look like Batman. I am Batman. <laughs> so have you seen the original Michael Keaton Batman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nose piece that covers his yeah. nose? It's exact. It does look Cut like Cut that it. out and put it on a pair of sunglasses. Yeah. And that's exactly what these things <laughs> look like. He was uh, hiking for nearly four hours. Every single person I made eye contact with seemed to have something to say. 
Uh, but when he got back to the car, not the slightest bit of pink. In short, the Onus Optics sunglasses were designed to do one thing, protect people's noses from sunburn, and they do a damn fine job. Rigid magnetic nose piece is removable, so you can wear the shades normally or clip it in and voila. For hiking, biking, fishing, skiing, climbing, or any other outdoor sport, these mask-like sunglasses have a place you will turn heads, get comments, but if you don't mind that, this is a highly functional design for a pair of active eyewear. They are quirky looking. I looked through the photos and... They are. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you that. Yeah. I, dude, what are those? I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly what I would be saying all the time. So yeah, there's a, the, he said the only drawback he found, uh, he took a tumble. Yeah. Um, and they, they came off and there was dirt. So they're held on by these, these rare earth magnets, right? Oh. So when he got some dirt on it, there was a little bit of a jiggle filings, but he just took some water, washed the dirt right off. Boom. Right back to normal. No problems. Hmm. Attaching or removing it is easy as snapping it into place and pulling it, uh, or pulling it off. And the seal is perfect. Uh, something the inventors said was extremely hard to execute. Um, I did notice that if I was hiking with my head down, I would feel the weight of the sunglasses hanging on my face. Oh, you got this big extra. Yeah, extra chunk of plastic. Chunk of plastic Plus there, the right? magnets. And- uh, it's not something I would normally notice with sunglasses, but these are heavier than your average pair of sunglasses, at least with the nose piece attached. The arms have rubber contact points to them. Though, um, so that if you're, they'll never actually slide off your face. Mm-hmm. When the nose piece is off, the weight and style of Onus optics are almost indistinguishable from a pair of active sunglasses. Hmm. Interesting. Spring loaded hinges. Uh, so you can build the, bend the arms out a little, a little bit. Helps them accommodate a variety of head sizes. So, fat head, you can wear them, right? So, it's an interesting pair of glasses. They do look kind of quirky, but, uh, like, was, from my perspective, have you ever gone into the mountains or gone hiking and you put on the, uh, the uh, what's it called? It's the white sunscreen paste that you put on your nose. Oh, the zinc oxide yeah, stuff? Yeah, the zinc yeah. oxide. So, I don't know. Maybe it's better than just putting on zinc oxide. At least it doesn't wear off. Well, see, and this is where I, right from the beginning... I know he was testing these, mm-hmm. and if you're out paddling a big lake or you're out fishing all day, yeah, like realistically, yeah, this would be perfect because if you're sweating, yeah, then yeah, you're not getting your nose burned, yeah, right. But if I'm going out like that, if you're taking the time to put sunscreen on your neck and yeah. everything, and then you're going to put it on your cheeks, yeah, you're going to put it on your nose. So I, I I personally, I mean, like I say, if you want to look like Batman, yeah. But I personally, I I don't see the point. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant idea. I would wear them. I would wouldn't wear them in public, but <laughs> I would wear them. Well, like if I'm off hiking or camping or fishing or whatever out in the sun, yeah. I think it's it's brilliant. It, like I, think, I would get a black pair so that they didn't stand up because there was a couple pair that had different colors and it's like, yeah. oh, that kind of stands out weird. But uh, yeah, I think I think if I was going to be spending an entire day backcountry fishing on a lake yeah. under the open sun, because I know I've done day. that you know, on a hot day. Mm-hmm. I've got my hat on, which has the yeah. brim, and it'll do the back of my neck and stuff. Yeah. But sometimes with it, with the water, the, you know, the light bounces oh, yeah, off yeah, the water, yeah. and you forget to reapply sunscreen to your face. Exactly, you're this sweating, would be rubbing the sweat off your face, yeah. rubbing sunscreen off your face. Yeah, this this would this honestly would be perfect for that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, he says, every time I was asked about them, I watched people's expressions change from puzzled to understanding as I explained the design. There is a functional use for Onus Optic sunglasses, and if you're constantly getting your nose burned or if you're worried about skin cancer or both, these are really great shades to wear outdoors. Even if you aren't wear, worried about your skin, these are a fun pair of shades to own. They're different. Now, the the, the two brothers, 
who teamed up with one of their buddies. The idea of this came to them because their dad had always been outdoors and in later years ended up having to go for surgeries for um, skin, cancer, skin on cancer on the nose and stuff like that. And there that's why, yeah. why they came up. So Onus Optics, O-N-U-S Optics, all one word, dot com, if you want to check these bad boys out. Um. Yeah, unless somebody buys me a pair, I can't see me wearing them. And if somebody says, hey, you want a pair of these for your birthday? No, I got other things I want first. But they, I mean, for, for what they're supposed to do, they do have their their time and their, their place. I, I can see people using them. Just not me. <laughs> they are very expensive. They are. What, 130 bucks or something? 140. 140. But I mean, people buy Oakley's and stuff like that, right? Correct. So, I mean, people are out there. The, the price of, if you want a pair of funky sunglasses, you're not going to blink at that. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. So, uh, the last thing I got here, uh, my son Mackenzie brought this because he's with the reserves now, right? Yeah. Well, not now, but he has been for a while. And he said, did you check out, hear about the Iron Warrior competition? I said, no. Uh, I'd seem to remember these guys doing this back when we lived up in Petawawa. So the Iron Warrior competition this year was the 40th anniversary of the second Canadian mechanized brigade group's annual athletic tradition that provides its soldiers with an opportunity to push their mental and physical limits. Limits. Iron Warrior 2023 happened over a two-day period, included two different route lengths, a marathon distance of 42 kilometers and a sprint distance of 21 kilometers. Both days, participants were challenged to complete a forced march carrying a weighted rucksack, followed by a canoe portage with a rucksack, a canoe paddle, and a final march to the finish line. That's a lot of work. Right? Members of the public saw participants and event staff in the town of Petawawa on the Ottawa River and at Petawawa Point during the two days. They were encouraged to show its support during the uh, challenging competition. A blank artillery round was also fired uh, to mark the start of the competition on both days. Pull out the howitzer, boys. (laughs) Uh, All efforts were made to ensure that that disruption to the community was kept to a minimum. Uh, two Canadian, a second Canadian mechanized brigade group said is grateful for the support and understanding of the community. So you get the weighted rucksack on and you do a, a march. Yeah. And then you've got a portage, a canoe. Now, if you look at the different canoes, cause on Facebook, uh, the iron warrior there, um, if you just Google it, their Facebook page, there's there's photos of it. And there's all different types of canoes. Oh, yeah. Some of them did not look light. <laughs> A couple of them looked pretty light. So depending on, and yeah, there was different, different lengths of the portage you had to do with the rucksack. Um, so depending on what canoe you managed to get, or if you were allowed to bring your own, they don't really go into the rules that much. But, you know, there could have been some unfair advantages there. <laughs> and in the pictures I saw, everybody seemed to be solo paddling with a kayak paddle. I think there was two people, my mistake, there was two people that looked like they might have single blades. It is very efficient. It is, but I was <laughs> joking with my son. I said, well... Everybody that's using a double blade, no, they should be eliminated, <laughs> disqualified, because it's supposed to be hard, right? So yeah. those single blade guys, yeah, they're now vi- vying for first and second place. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, so you've, you've got to do this march, then you pick up a canoe, and you do this big portage, then you throw your rucksack in the canoe, and you do a big paddle across the Ottawa River. Yeah. And then you pick that rucksack back up, and then you got a boogie. Yeah, yeah. To the finish line. <laughs> now I think the first it started with a with a march, then the portage, the paddle, and I think the last part 
Was it a march too, or was it a? It's a final a march to the finish line. A yeah. final march, but I, I wasn't sure if there was a run in there somewhere. I thought there was a mar- uh, a run, like the, at the ending you could run if you if you still had energy okay. left. Uh, Look, there's some pictures now. It's it's yeah. really interesting, right? But you see what I mean about all the different types of of canoes. Yeah, yes. like some of the, some of them look like they're, you know, um, fiberglass. Some look like they're Kevlar fusion, you know, expedition weight sort of thing. So you know, dude over there's got a forty pound canoe. Dude over there's got a ninety pound <laughs> canoe. Oh, you know, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> That's kind of not fair. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, my son there, he he brought me that one and uh, said, hey, did you check this out? Thanks, Mackenzie. Yeah. I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon, but no, no. if that's your cup of tea, then whatever <laughs> floats your boat, folks, whatever floats your boat. Uh, that's all I got. Me too. That's it? Wow. That was an interesting week. We had a lot of interesting topics there. Yeah. I'm still looking at the uh, photos of this race. It's... Uh, very cool. Yeah, I was telling. I was actually telling about the uh, um, Henley on Todd race that the uh, Rangers, Canadian Rangers, were in in Australia. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> running, yeah. running the like the Flintstones. Yeah. yeah, telling about that one. He goes, "Oh, that'd be cool." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. I, I think I'd rather do that one than yeah. than the the forced march <laughs> one, right? Yeah. So. Alrighty, uh, I gotta send Kevin Callan a message. Uh huh. Because they're doing the paddleheads thing this weekend. Oh yes, yes, yeah. We should go harass them. We should go harass. Yeah. <laughs> Hide behind bushes and throw things. Yeah. Start paddling by. <laughs> Scare off the fish. Yeah, that could be fun. All right. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I keep whacking my gunnels. Am I chasing your fish away? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> oh, no, the dynamite? No, that's to help you bring the fish up to the surface so you can see them where to cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can download and stream the episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>